so much. We appreciate David and Carol and uh, how blessed we've been by them as uh, we've shared time together. I know he has a real heart both for uh, the town of Hollow to, to see it really transformed by the power of God, but also to see lives coming into a place of fruitfulness and into a place of blessing and into a place of destiny. And uh, we are grateful for all that he and Carol does, along with the rest of the leadership team here. I've uh, just come back from holiday. Um, the Estuary Church group haven't seen me for two weeks. Um, I'm at Chelmsford next week, so they won't see me next week either. Um, but I understand that it's all going brilliantly without me there, so I might stay away longer. But um, <laughs> we, had, uh, we had two weeks on a narrowboat. Um, in all the time that we've been narrowboating, we began to start to um, hire a narrowboat originally, uh, way, way back when our children were relatively young. Our eldest was probably in his mid-teens, and he's in his mid-40s now. So we've probably been doing that for about 30 years. Um, and um, when, I, when I retired from my secular job, just to say that I retired very young, um, so um, just in case you think that I, I, I look sort of nearly 90, I'm not quite there yet... Um, but when I retired from my secular job, uh, at that time we came across uh, the opportunity to, to buy into a share of a narrowboat. And so nearly 20 years ago, that's what we did. And for the last 20 years, we've been out um, at least uh, three weeks every year um, on our narrowboat. We've just had two weeks. In all of that time, never have we ever had a holiday where every day you woke up, the sun was shining, the sky was blue, it was blazing hot, and it was absolutely awesome and amazing. And you can tell by my colour, I'm the one that drives the boat. There is no shelter on a narrowboat. You're out there in the blazing sun, steering it while the rest of the crew, who only get hot when they have to do locks, are either finding shelter somewhere, sitting there, sipping their cold drinks, and just leaving me to suffer in silence. In case you don't know, I don't suffer in silence very often. No, they are more than just said. I never do anything in silence. But... Um, and the, uh, the whole point of me telling you this is that there is a reason. Um, one particular evening, we came to a point where we moored up for the evening. And uh, that, that evening, we all, we all went to bed. Uh, there was more than myself and, and two friends, a couple with us. And uh, we went to bed, and during the night, we could not quite work out why it was that um, we were rolling towards each other, one was rolling towards the other, and the other was rolling out of bed. And, and, you, and, and we thought, what on earth is going on? But we just basically took no notice until in the morning we got up and found that the boat was listing quite badly over to one side. And uh, when we went out to investigate, we discovered that what had happened is that the pound in which we were in, so there is a pound is basically a stretch of water that runs between one set of lock gates and the next. Those are called a pound. Some of them can just be uh, just a few metres long, some can be several miles long. And in this particular pound, what had happened, there had been a leakage 
of the water, the, the level had dropped down, the boat ended up grounded and listing. So um, we, first of all, decided that we would try to get the boat off, and so we uh, got out and we tried pushing and shoving and heaving and all the rest of it and got absolutely nowhere. So then I put the engine on and I tried to reverse the boat out and got absolutely nowhere. It was absolutely jammed solid. And so there was only one way in which we could resolve this problem. And the way to resolve the problem was to let fresh water in. In order that this level might be lifted and the boat might be raised up to continue on its journey. Why have I told you all of that? Because I sense this morning, for some of you, you're grounded spiritually. And there has been that sense in which over a period of time you haven't realized it, you haven't noticed it, it's almost been imperceptible, but over a period of time there has been leakage in the terms of your spiritual life and your spiritual experience and that sense of anointing and that sense of the Holy Spirit moving in your life and you've come to a point where you're not moving anymore. You're not journeying anymore in your, in your life with God. You're not in that place where there's a sense of destiny and a sense of excitement as far as the future is concerned. You are grounded and you're trying in some ways to find resolution to that. You're trying in some ways in your own efforts to, to get off of that which is, is holding you fast. And what Father wants you to know this morning is the only way that you will begin to move forward again is when there is a fresh flow of the Holy Spirit that moves into your life and moves into your experience and begins to lift you up into a new level, into a place where you will again begin to understand and hear what Father has to say and recognize that the Holy Spirit will begin to move you into all that he has purposed and planned for you. You see, when we come back to the illustration of the canal, what had to happen was that we had to go to where the barrier was, that is the lock gates, and the way that lock gates work is that they have metal plates on them, and when you lift the metal plates, it lets the flow come. But you have to take the, take the, the key, and it's called a lock key, and you have to open up the paddle open up those metal plates for the flow to come through. And although God wants to move in your life, God wants to do something fresh in your life, you need to open up the gate to enable him to do that. You need to give him the opportunity and the permission for him to be able to begin to start to bring into your life a new experience in himself, a new revelation of who he is, a new understanding of what is on his heart, a new sense of the fact that he loves you and he longs to do something great through your life. And for the church here, just to be aware of the fact, do not ever allow yourself to become grounded. Do, never, do not ever allow yourself to come to that place where there is almost a sense in which you feel that you've arrived and you've settled down because God's heart is for you to continue to move into the destiny and into the purposes and into the plans that he has and they will continue until the time come when Jesus returns. And whatever chapter you're in as a church, just be aware that that chapter is just a prequel, a prequel before the next chapter. 
and that there's a chapter to follow that chapter. Get a sense of the chapter you're in, but also become aware of the chapter that is to follow. And with all that in mind, I want to, uh, this morning, just for a, a while, talk about hearing Father's heart. Uh, this year, God has really challenged us as a Nestry Church group to focus on the theme of hope. Uh, We live in a world where there seems to be such hopelessness. And sadly, that hopelessness can be reflected in the church as well, and individual lives. People get a sense where they they just feel that there is no hope for them. And if you're in that place this morning, I want to begin by saying that hope is found here, and that there is a place of hope, and that God is a God of hope. And that God wants to bring hope into our lives and expectation and excitement and an awareness of what he's able to accomplish through us. And I want to take you to a very well-known story, and it's found in Luke chapter 15. Uh, Luke chapter 15, you will perhaps well know, is the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. But I want to focus, as we look at the parable which we call the lost son parable, I want to focus on the father. And uh, just to sort of give you a a sort of background to it, we're going to read the Bible to you. Um, Dave Campbell says that uh, if you ensure that you read the Bible, at least one of the things you say will be inspired. And so um, we will read the Bible because that's the inspired word of God. And uh, Chapter 15, verse 1 says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear him, that's Jesus. That the Pharisees, that's the religious leaders, and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus then told them this parable, and he actually tells them the three. And we're going to pick up the one on the son. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to my father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead 
and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you've never given me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property on prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. May God bless his word to us. The key verse that I want you to reflect on and consider over the coming week is verses 31 and 32. Where it says, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The Living Bible puts it this way. Look, dear son, his father said to him, you and I are very close and everything I have is yours. But it is right to celebrate for he is your brother. And he was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found. Or the message says, his father said, son, you don't understand. You're with me all the time and everything that is mine is yours. But this is a wonderful time and we had to celebrate. This brother of yours was dead and he's alive. He was lost and he is found. I'm going to say that this particular story not only reflects upon a son who removed himself from father's house, but also reflects on a son who removed himself from the father's heart. You can be in the father's house, but not in touch with the father's heart. You can be in the place where you're going about all the business of the father. Here was a son who was conducting himself in an admirable way. Here was a son who was going about all the things he was required to do. Here was a son who was absolutely dutiful in the way that he was living out his life. But here was a son who was just as dead as the son who had gone. You see, you can be in that place where you give the impression that everything is great and everything is fine, but you've lost touch with the Father. And that was the case as far as these religious leaders were concerned. You see, they were the eldest son. They saw Jesus meeting and mixing with those that they felt he shouldn't be meeting and mixing with. And their attitude was one of, This should not be happening. This is not correct. This doesn't fit in with our understanding of what God is like. This cannot be allowed. And the result was that they came to a point where somewhere along the line, 
they'd lost the sense of what was on God's heart. I'm going to say that I believe that we need to ensure that we never lose a sense of what's on God's heart. And that if we are going to in any way impact our communities and impact our world with the good news, it begins with us being sensitive to the heart of the Father. Us being in that place where we have that awareness of how Father thinks and how Father feels. And I want to just mention one or two things that's on Father's heart and ask the question of you, have you removed yourself from the heart of the Father? And the first thing is this, that the Father's heart is absolutely committed to relationship. Relationship with him, but relationship with each other and relationship with those who are not yet part of the family that you are part of. How is your relationship? First of all, how is your relationship with the Father? You see, if you're in relationship with the Father, you will be in touch with the Father's heart. That's why Jesus was able, on one occasion, was able to say, I am able to do these things because I know what my Father wants. I can see and understand his heart. Now I recognize that I'm still in that place of imperfection where there are times when I struggle to get a sense of what is on Father's heart. But there is a deep-rooted desire in my life for me to come into such a place of intimacy that I might know the closeness of Father's heart, not simply so that I might know that I am loved by the Father, but so that I might know the Father and express my love to the Father. And to be able to come to that point where there is such a closeness and such a nearness. See, one of the amazing things that we see in the context of this story is that there were broken relationships by both the sons. But there was a deep-rooted desire by the Father for the relationship to be restored. And in both cases, the Father goes to the Son. In both cases, the father goes and encounters the son. In both cases, the father goes and engages with the son. And maybe you're in that place where you feel removed from the father. You need to know the father's heart is for a relationship with you that is so intimate, so amazing, so deep, so real. It is transformational. And that it is not something that he is reluctant to give to you. It is something that he longs for you. He longs for that intimacy and that encounter. And he will do everything he can to come to that point where you will know him. But equally, the relationship with the Father is also reflected in the relationship you have with those around you. Here is one brother saying about another brother, I don't accept him. I don't value him. I don't care for him. I don't worry about him. I don't even want him. One of the greatest tragedies I believe that we sometimes see in the life of church is where there is division and there is schism and where one group is saying to another group, we don't want you. So I believe we need to recognize that uh, those of us who are older need those who are younger. With all their enthusiasm, with all their excitement, with all that potential that was in them, 
I just love seeing young people engaged and moving and involved in the life and the work of the church. And I believe it is so vital that we encourage them and we stand with them and we recognize all that God can accomplish in and through them. But equally, I need to say, to those who are of the younger generation, you need the old ones. With all their experience, with all their background, with all the wisdom, with all their understanding. You see, we are family. We are called together relationship. And it is in relationship that we discover the harmony and the blessing and the outpouring of the grace of God. It is in, in, it is in relationship we discover that the power of God and the flow of God and the Spirit of God operates and moves. And that it is there in that place of unity that we discover and find the very heart of God. I don't believe it is any mistake that in Acts chapter 2, where it talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, it highlights the fact when they were all together in one place. I say that if you are out of relationship with someone in the life of the church, that needs to be dealt with. I sense for some of you there are issues of relationship within the life of your family. And within that family, within that family uh, center, there, there's that sense in which there is, there, there is a, a, a sense of antagonism. There is a sense of feeling aggrieved, a feeling that somehow or other you've been fouled and you've been let down. And as a result of that, there's almost a reaction that says, I don't want any more to make the effort to come into a place of, of, of relationship and, and nearness with those that are part of family. And Father wants you to know that it is important that you have a heart for that family relationship to be restored and renewed. He recognizes in your own strength you will not be able to do that. He understands that there has been hurt and there has been pain and there has been disappointment and there has been a feeling of let, being let down and the feeling that you've been betrayed in some cases. The Father wants you to know that it won't be in your strength that there will be restoration, but it will be in his power and his strength. And you need to begin by start praying for those that you are in schism with. You need to start praying for those that you are, that you are in one sense... Uh, uh, feeling divided from and praying that God will bless them and God will come close to them and ask God the Father to give you a new sense of heart and longing and love for them because out of that flow of your prayer and your willingness to have a sense of what is on his heart he will step in miraculously and you will see something that you never would imagine as a coming together takes place and as there is a unifying. I want to say to husbands and wives that you are to ensure that your relationship with each other is a relationship that's based on intimacy and closeness and nearness of heart. That you need to ensure that you're living in that place where the family unit reflects something of the heart of God and that sense of awareness that you are committed to each other. Just as Jesus loves the church, so he says that husbands are to love their wives, to be committed to them and relationship with them. And already you've received teaching. I don't think there's any mistake that you've received teaching on marriage, on relationship, which I knew nothing about, and here is Father saying, listen what's on my heart. Listen what's on my heart. Relationship is important to me.
But he then goes on to say this. He says, not only is relationship important to me, but also restoration is important to me as well. Here are two sons that both needed to be restored. Two sons who both needed to be restored. We know the younger son was restored. The younger son who had done what he had done in the sense of removing himself from father's house was restored back into father's house. I want to say to some of you, those that you see at the moment as rebels removed from father's house, father is reaching for and father is speaking to and father is revealing himself to and there will come the day when they will come to their senses and they will come back home. And you may at the moment just see, see what seems to be a deteriorating situation. It seems that as though everything that you are praying for, the more you pray, the worse it seems to get. But Father wants you to know, you keep on praying, you keep on expecting, you keep on believing, you keep on trusting, you keep on living in the knowledge that Father's heart is a heart for restoration. And as much as you are desperate for them to come home, the desperation he feels is even greater. He is watching out for them, he's looking after them, and he is reaching out to them. But you see, we don't know what happened to the son who was not removed from the father's house, but who removed himself from the father's heart. Was there a change? Was there a willingness to move and come into the line with what the father wanted? You see, if you don't come into line with the Father's heart, even if you're in the Father's house, you have no part in the destiny that he has. Because you cannot engage in the life and the work and the ministry of the Father without having the Father's heart. And the Father's heart is for restoration. Restoration for those who are lost Restoration for those who are in that place of isolation and removal from where the Father wants them to be. And we need to pray that we will see in the life of God's house restoration in its fullest sense. So that as God comes and reveals himself, so there will be a real awareness of just something taking place that bring people back to that position where they have such a consciousness and knowledge of Father's heart. So I'm aware in my own experience that um, you go through all sorts of chapters. And sometimes people look at church leaders and think that they've got it all together, think that they somehow or other are on a different planet or a different world to the rest. I want you to know that that is illusion. The church leaders struggle as much as you struggle. Have questions like you have questions. Times when they feel that they're in that place of intimacy with Father and it just seems that they're in that season where Father's favor is upon their lives and where so much is happening. But there are other times when they feel as though they're out in the wilderness. You see, I'm so grateful of the fact that as we look at every man and woman that God used in the Bible, every one of them had flaws. I want you to know there's no such thing as a perfect leader. 
There's no such thing as a perfect pastor. Dave and Caro are as close as you can get. <laughs> but they're not perfect. I know you're shocked by that. You're even more shocked that the regional leader, Dave Campbell, isn't perfect either. And I'm certainly not perfect. You see, God calls imperfect people. But he's in the process of restoring us and renewing us. We're his children. If I was to say to you, in all honesty, are your children perfect? You might at times think they are, but let me assure you, they probably aren't. The only people who think children are perfect are grandparents who think their grandchildren are perfect because they can get rid of them when they're not. We've got ours coming next weekend. They're perfect. They're little angels. They're only with us for three days. Praise God in that time. They get so excited, so filled up with chocolate and so involved in all the things that we do that they haven't got time to be naughty. But when they're at home, that's a different matter, so my daughter tells me. You see, there are no perfect children. But the Father is in the process of making us perfect. And in 1 John... 3.1, 3.1, it says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, and we are his children. He goes on to say there is a process that's taking place. We are being transformed from glory into glory. One day we will see Jesus, and then we will be like him. See, Father's heart is, is, is one which looks for restoration and renewal and refreshing. And he is in that business of changing and transforming you. And no, you are not yet perfect. But even if you are not yet perfect, you are still a child. You still belong to Father. You're still part of his family. And so when you are involved in the life of family... What the religious leaders were doing were looking at all the imperfections and they were making judgments on the imperfections. When Father looks at your life and looks at my life, he does not look at the imperfections. He looks at all the things that he values and he appreciates and he loves about you because the fact remains that he created you in his image. That was his original purpose and plan and that is still his original purpose and plan. And every person you meet and every person you engage with and every person you encounter, whether they're part of church family or not part of church family, Every person in Harlow, whether they are a law-abiding citizen or not a law-abiding citizen, they are still made in the image of the Father. There is still something in their lives that reflects something of him. And although that image is marred and all that, although that image is distorted, it doesn't, trans- it doesn't overcome the fact that they are still his children. And he longs for their restoration. And if we are going to see church revival, we have got to get into our hearts and into our minds and understanding what's on Father's heart, that restoration involves us meeting and engaging with all sorts of people, some we get on with, some we find it difficult to get on with, but all of them who we are to love. And all of them we are to be united with. To the great high priestly prayer of John 17, Jesus says that they may be one as we are one. Restoration is on the heart of the Father. 
And God is in the business of bringing restoration. For some of you this morning, you need to know that though you feel distant from him, you don't need to remain distant from him. Although you feel that somehow you've lost touch of where he wants you to be, today can be your moment of transformation. Because he wants to restore you and bring you back into that place where you just know his heart and you know his blessing upon your life. Restoration is the heart of the Father. Not only is restoration at the heart of the Father, but so is revelation. See, when the Father comes to the two sons, the the Father brings revelation of how he both sees the sons and what the sons need to hear. For this younger son, the revelation was this. My son, you may think that all you are now worth is being a servant. I want you to know that you're still a son. And to emphasize that fact, I'm going to put a new robe on you. I'm going to give you a ring of authority. I'm going to put sandals on your feet. And even more than that, son, I want you to know that I'm so thrilled and so glad about the fact that you are back home. We're going to have the best feast we've ever had. There was not one word of condemnation. There was not one word of accusation. There was not one word of, what have you done? You've gone and taken everything I gave you and you've squandered it all. Not a word. Some of you need to know that when Father looks at you, he does not think uh, about your life in the terms of condemning you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And some of you need to stop condemning yourselves. And you need to come to a place where you're in a place where you are willing to forgive yourself for what you have done because Father has already forgiven you. If you've come to the place where you've said, Father, I want to be restored and I want to once again be in that place of sonship. Some of you need to know that that destiny that you had written over your life, that you think you've blown, that it is not blown in any way whatsoever, but it is restored to you and given back to you and that you will find there will be revelation Revelation given to you of what you can accomplish and do as you continue to know the Father revealing himself to you. But you see, the older son got revelation as well. It's interesting what the Father says to the older son. Because in some respects, I would love to feel that that's where I am. He says, you're with me all the time. So here's Father saying to the older son, You know my presence. All the while, you know my presence. There's a closeness between us. I'm there for you. And then he goes on to say this. He says, and everything I have is yours. And so we read texts like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We read texts that my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Here is Father saying to the older son, Son, I want you to know my presence is there and my provision is there. All the while, everything, whatever you need is yours. But you see, when the heart is wrong, the result of that there is that there is a blindness that comes in. So the older son, as far as he is concerned, he has not got a consciousness of the father's presence, neither has he got a consciousness of the father's provision. Because what he actually says to the father, he says, Father, I haven't even been able to have a goat. 
to celebrate with my friends. It was not the father that was preventing him from having the goat to celebrate with his his friends. It was his attitude in himself. Because of where he was at, he somehow felt that he was separated from the father, that everything that the father had, all the resources that were his, he could not in any way take to himself or receive or accept or enjoy. You see, you can be in the place where you're in father's house because you're not in touch with father's heart when all the blessing comes, when all the provision is there, when the miracles start taking place, instead of you being in the centre of it, you're on the outside of it, looking in and saying, why is this not for me? Why am I not receiving this? Why is God not answering my prayer? Why is not giving, God giving me this healing? Why is God not moving in my life in this way? Why is he blessing those over there but not blessing me? You see, having lost touch with the Father's heart, he lost touch with the fact of what the Father wanted to do. And the revelation that could be his. He needed to have fresh revelation of the Father's heart so he could understand that he could celebrate. So he could understand that he could rejoice. So he could understand that he could receive. So he could understand that he could come to that place where there was just an pouring of the Father's love into his life and into his experience and everything that was available to him was his. So he could enjoy Father's presence. And so he could enjoy Father's provision. When you know, church, that Father's presence here in this place is something that you both should enjoy, continue to experience, and know that his longing is for an increasing measure of that presence, a increasing sense of that visitation, an increasing sense of him being here. Just recently, um, we, we made an announcement across the Estuary Church group. One of, one of my uh, ministers is leaving and taking up um, leadership at uh, another church. And um, we came to an agreement that there would be a particular day in which we would announce that fact. I happened to be at the particular branch which the leader was uh, based at. And so I made the announcement, and at the same time the announcement was made at the church, Elam Church, that he's going to take up the ministerial role for. But uh, it was interesting, the reaction. There was a reaction within the church um, for, the peop- for the people that were there, one of shock and one of surprise, and I can understand all of that. But the interesting thing I found was the reaction of those who weren't there. Why weren't we told? My response was, as loving as possible, well, if you'd been there, you would have been told. Why do I say this? You see, you've got to understand that you have to be in the Father's house for the revelation to come. That doesn't mean that you can't have revelation or a sense of the Father's presence or a consciousness of the Father's provision when you are elsewhere because the Father is everywhere. But the Father has destined for us to gather together in his house. 
We are church. Not the building. We are church. And as church, we need each other. And his heart and his longing is, because of relationship, because of restoration, and because he wants revelation, he says, come together and let revelation flow. You see, some of you will get things that will be revealed to you that you need to reveal to others. Some of you will get ministries that you need to give to others. One of the things I find really challenging is so often in these days, and I'm sure it doesn't apply here to Harlow, but in these days, and it does apply sometimes, in the Estuary Church group, that people come with a view, what am I going to get from church today? We need to come to an understanding is what can I give to church today? That's where the Father's heart is. The Father doesn't come to you and say, what can you give me? The Father comes to you and says, what can I give you? The Father comes and says, how can I minister into your life? How can I show my love to you? How can I bring you into a place of blessing? Yes, of course he gets blessed when you praise him. Of course he gets blessed when you worship him. Of course he gets blessed when you honour and exalt him. Of course he receives all of that. But his primary purpose is to come to pour his blessing upon your life and to enable you to know that he wants you to have that sense of revelation of what is on his heart so that you can understand that as he reveals reveals himself to you, then you are being changed and transformed through that process. See, both sons knew where they stood. But with both sons, having known where they stood, it still was dependent upon them how they responded to that revelation. And it does depend upon you how you respond to the revelation. And the revelation that Father's brought to you this morning, it's dependent upon you how you respond to it. Because you see, what also is on the Father's heart is the Father's heart is for one for rejoicing. I love worship. I love exuberance. I had the privilege because of the regional role of going to all sorts of different Elan churches and uh, being involved in all sorts of different styles of worship. Some which uh, I can identify with quite easily and some which I find that, um, that, that it is so, so different. I, ju- I just love it, but I think there's no way I could ever replicate this. It, it just is so, so way out of, of, of where we are at as an Estuary Church group. Yet what I do know is that whenever Elam Church I visit, whether it's in a city in London, whether it's down in Eastbourne, whether it's up in Norwich, whether it's new modern songs, whether it's some of the older style songs, there's one church I go to, they still sing songs from Redemption Hymnal. Some of you will have no idea what that is, uh, but it's the equivalent to the Old Testament. Um, they, 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 they still sing songs from what we used to call the Yellow Peril, the Elam Chorus Book. Uh, songs like It's Bubbling, It's Bubbling, It's Bubbling in My Soul. You're blown away by a song like that, aren't you? There's laughing and singing since Jesus made me whole. Folks don't understand it, nor can I keep it quiet, but it's bubbling, 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 bubbling day and night. I always think of champagne when I sing that song. Um, But, you know, very different styles. Very different styles. What I can tell you is that where there is genuine rejoicing and genuine celebration, Father will engage with that. Father will be involved with that. I just had that sense of Father at times doing a jig in heaven. 
times sort of doing a dance along with the angels, just caught up with all the exuberance of worship. Be worshippers in the truest sense. Give your all. You might not necessarily be expressive, uh, and you might be someone who is sort of shy and, and, and quiet, a bit like me, someone who tends to sort of hide away. But, you know, occasionally let yourself go. Occasionally do a little clap. You'll be surprised at what sound comes out. And, and last night we, we had, a, we had um, Maureen Place Cello, in case you don't know. Maureen Place Cello, she's been practicing here um, in Harlow, Elam for a number of weeks with her cello teacher. You probably didn't know that either. She's just um, taken her grade six. We are waiting with bated breath for results. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's testing our relationship. Um, LAUGHTER but I have every, every confidence that she will, um, she will pass with flying colours. But, but the fact remains that, that as far as uh, that whole sense of, of excitement and exuberance, it comes through when you, when, when you listen to Maureen play the cello, as I frequently do, or when I listen to the orchestra that she's part of. And last night in our Rayleigh church we had an orchestra concert. Uh, we have two a year, one in the summer and one in Christmas. Uh, David and Carol have been along to it. And, um, and let me say that there is exuberance. Even though the music is music that's from centuries ago, Bach and Chopin and whatever his other name is, I can't think of that. Oh, Mozart, that's another one. And Beethoven. Um, you know, whatever it is, there's just such a sense of excitement and exuberance over it all because music creates that atmosphere and that excitement. Let me say, heaven's filled with worshippers. Heaven's filled with song. When you get to heaven, if you don't like worship, I suggest you start practicing now because there are going to be a lot up there. And, and, and God loves worship. God loves, he loves rejoicing. And here in this story, what he does, he rejoices over those who have come to a place where they've captured a sense of his heart. He rejoices over those who come to a place where they have an awareness of his closeness. He rejoices over the fact of those that come into that situation where once again they are all that he destined them to be as they continue on their journey with him. How are you going to respond? The younger son came to his senses. The older son is an unknown. Are you going to be a younger son if you're not in that place of that closeness with father's heart and say, I'm going to respond? Are you going to be like the narrow boat, held fast, immovable, because you are grounded because you're living on what has been rather than what is coming. You're living on what has been past rather than living on what is present now. Are you going to be someone who's going to come to the point where you're going to open yourself and say, I want the gates of my life to be open for the fresh flow of the anointing of the Spirit of God to come. I want to be in that place where I get lifted off of, of this, this, this whole sense of being grounded and unmoved so that I can once again begin to continue on the journey and the destined to the destiny that Father has for me. I want to be close to his heart. Are you going to be like the older son? 
who we don't know what he did, but unless his attitude changed, he would continue to be a son, he would continue to be in the father's house, he could continue to be about the father's business, but he would have no sense of the father's heart, he would have no sense of the father's presence, and he would miss out on seeing the father's provision. May God help you to come to the place where Father wants you to be. Amen. Amen.